Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now let's talk about a passage that we find in Malachi chapter 4. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The passage that has been read to you has been from the uh, revised version, new, new revised version. But I, I'm going to read the passage again, and I'm going to read it in the book of Malachi and chapter 4. So when you pick your Bible up, Malachi is the very last book written in the Old Testament catalog of scriptures. So if you're looking for Malachi and want to follow along with us, go to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. And from Matthew chapter 1, just turn back a couple of pages, and you'll be in Malachi. So Malachi was one of the prophets of, of the old that was written close to the end of that nation's history. Now, in chapter 4 at verse 1, I'm going to read the, the, five, the, uh, the three verses that we want, want to look at, the five verses. And then I want to make a comment on them. So let's, let's begin. For behold, the days come that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubbled, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So at the very beginning, God is speaking through Malachi and saying there's some, something coming that's very destructive, and that he is going, he's going to take judgment upon those who do wickedly. At verse 2 he says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Now the word Son there is S-U-N. It's not Son like the Son of God. But it, is, it has a prophetic application to Jesus Christ. So it says, The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings or in the rays of the sunshine. He's talking about the sun coming up and healing, the, having healing in the rays of the sunshine. He said, you, he said, you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Prophetically, he's talking about the destruction of our enemies. Now, we'll, we'll find later, we, of course you do as you read the New Testament, that the enemies we have are the enemies that are mustered against us by the devil. And it's basically the devil and, and his henchmen and whatever he's trying to do to us and make our life miserable. 
Verse 4, he says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He's referring here to John the Baptist. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. A couple of things are going on here. First of all, he's saying there's disaster coming. But then he's saying that there's going to be the rising of the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. There was a great day coming then. There was an evil day coming first. And then a great day coming first. And John the Baptist saw that. When he came, he, he, he yelled out, he shouted out, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was warning people that the world was in a desperate situation. Disaster was on its way. And he's saying, repent. What he was talking about was the fact that the sinfulness of mankind had brought this world to the brink of disaster with God. And he's saying, repent. You need to get rid of those sins. Now, this text says that the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. Now we know, basically, because we have good hindsight, that this is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a glorious day that was. When Jesus stepped out of the grave and the sunshine spread all over this world of His presence. What a great day His resurrection is. And the world is going to... Going to uh, Celebrate that the best we can, really. The world will celebrate that and has all over the globe. There's no more inspiring and encouraging subject on earth than this. Jesus Christ has arisen from the dead because He destroyed man's greatest foe. Man's greatest foe is the devil, and the devil's strongest implement of destruction is sin. And sin is, my friends, the contagion that will destroy us. Now, we have a chance to think about something that is more desperate and, and destructive to us than the coronavirus that we're, we're facing now. Because the, the, the disease that Jesus came to take care of and to destroy and save us from is a disease that had no cure. None. And it was a disease that not only killed, but it follows into the grave, tracks you into the grave. If we die of, of the bubonic plague, we die of the bubonic plague. If we die of sin, sin trails us into the grave and brings misery throughout eternity. Now what a difference that is. We're going to get, uh, we know that, it, that uh, in terms of the, the virus that we're facing right now, we know that we have capable, competent medical researchers who are going to get on top of this virus. We know that. It's going to happen. What the world did not know when Jesus came was that somebody could get on top of sin and get on top of the devil. They did not know that. It was not a glorious sunrise when Jesus came to this earth. Matter of fact, 
When he was born, he came into a dying world populated with sick and diseased inhabitants. The plague was sin. It had, it had infected every adult living on this earth. And all the children were at risk. The children were healthy, as Jesus recognized when he said, the kingdom of heaven is made up of little children. And when he told Nicodemus, he said, if you want to be saved, get rid of your disease, you have to be born again. Get out of the old life you were in, where you were diseased, and get into the new one. But he also knew that the children that were born then and children that are born now, even though they're born without sin, are going to be infected. We're all going to be infected. In, in uh, Psalms chapter 58, verse 3, the text says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. You get started quickly, so that it doesn't take long before you start sinning. Jesus understood that, and we should understand that. So it won't be long in our lives once we're born until we get to the point that we can practice sin just like our parents practice sin. That we can do the same thing. When David had his problem with Bathsheba, and he made a confession, he said that he was born in sin and conceived in iniquity. That means he was born into a world that was dead in sin and infected by sin. And he said only a fool, only a fool wouldn't recognize that. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. Only a fool does not recognize what devastation that sin can have on us, what kind of sickness we are afflicted with. In Psalms chapter 14 at verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. But why did he say that? He said, Because they are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that does good. So we get so infected by sin that we become foolish about it. We don't even recognize that we have it. We don't even know that it's there. When Jesus came as an infant, obviously, he, he was not aware at that point of, of his surroundings. But as he, as he got older, he began to see what was going on. And when we think about what we can see and what God can see, it's different. In the book of 1 Samuel 16 and verse 6, and that's because he's God and we're man. But in 1 Samuel 16, 6, God told Samuel that he did not, God does not see as man sees. God looks on the heart. So when God looks at this world, he's not seeing it like we're seeing it. He's seeing it differently. When Jesus came in his public ministry, he saw the world that was plummeting out of moral control, heading for utter destruction. He saw a world he, that he knew that, that had a universal malady. He knew that there was no known cure for sin. None. There was no known cure. Nobody could cure sin. That which was afflicting the soul. We're talking about that which afflicts your everlasting immortal soul. That's sin. He knew that there was no known cure. There was no vaccine. There was no hope. 
the mortality rate, and I did a little bit of calculation this morning, and you can do it yourself. The mortality rate, if you happen to get the coronavirus infection, the mortality rate worldwide is right around 95%. So it's 95% chance that you're not going to die. In the United States, it's close to 98%. As far as sin is concerned, when Jesus came, the mortality rate was zero. You don't recover from this. There's no recovery. Now, that's what he was facing. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was no bright day on the horizon. Not until Jesus got here. Not until he came. And then not until he turned 30 years of age. There's no light. Now, to make matters worse, the world was sick and suffering in sin. Dying in the dark. In the dark. Imagine the chaos in this world if during the night the electric power fails during our crisis. Imagine the scene that confronted the 30-year-old Jesus when he came into a dark world. Now he's seeing something we're not seeing. He's seeing sick people. He's seeing people desperate and dying. He's seeing people that are afflicted with a disease that is eating their immortal soul away. That's what he's seeing. He's hearing the screams of the anguished. He's, he's seeing people with bandaged heads. He's seeing with uh, people that are, that are emaciated, sunken eyes, sallow com complexions. He's seeing people missing limbs, makeshift crutches, disfigured bodies. That's what he's seeing in the souls of the people that he's seeing when he's coming to this earth. We see regular human beings that look pretty good to us. But Jesus is seeing people that are sick and dying of sin. That's what he's seeing. And he's hearing people coughing and hacking and spitting up blood. And it's in the dark. It's in the dark. It's not in the light. That's what Jesus saw because he could see the true human condition. Few others were aware of the moral and ethical conflict that Jesus was seeing when he got here. There were a couple. The old prophets in the Old Testament times, they thought something bad was comforting. And they knew that, they, that, they, that sin was encompassing them. They knew that. And they were looking forward to a time that things were going to get better. That there's going to be a cure somewhere on the horizon. That's what they thought. And some people, when Jesus got here as a baby, some people knew that this was going to happen too. There was a fellow by the name of Zechariah who was the father of John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. And when John the Baptist was born, six months before Jesus was born, Zechariah, John's daddy, spoke of the son that would go before Jesus, his son, talked about his boy going before Jesus, so that God would grant us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. Out of the hand of our enemies. The enemy of your soul is the devil. And the devil has made you sick in sin. And Zechariah said his boy was going to tell you about someone 
who's going to take away those sins. There were a couple of other people waiting for the same thing. There was a, there was a lady, when Jesus was taken to the city of Jerusalem to be circumcised, the eighth day according to Jewish law, there was a lady there by the name of Anna. She knew, she recognized the salvation of God, the saving power of God. And so did, so did another fellow who was there, and his name was Simon. They were excited about this. Now, let's, let's come on down to the time when John announces his coming. So John is in the wilderness, and he's preaching in the wilderness. Not too many people are listening to it, but some come out. And Jesus is present, and John is announcing his presence. And he's talking to the dying crowd, and he's saying, Somebody is going to turn on the light, and somebody's going to make you well. Somebody's coming to get you well, to take care of you. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 6, when Jesus first came to Capernaum, the first time he went into the synagogue and spoke, they handed him a copy of the scriptures. He read them. And you know what he did? He turned on the lights. That's what the text says. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, Jesus came into the hospital, as it were, that was enshrouded in darkness, and he turned on a light. If you're like me, maybe you're not, but if you're like me, and I'm watching a TV show, and it's a, it's a mystery show, and uh, people are trying to find a killer somewhere, and the killer is in a dark house, and the hero or heroine goes into a dark house with a little tiny pin light looking around for danger. And I, I'm saying, turn on the light, dummy, turn on the light. <laughs> and they don't. But that's what Jesus did. He turned on the light. What kind of light was that? He turned on the light so people could see what sort of situation they were in. When Jesus turns on the light in your house, it will, so, it will be so that you can see what you look like in the light of God's love. That's what, he want, that's what he's going to do. Now, Jesus was the physician. And let me t tell you something about physicians. A physician is someone who, who has the cure for a disease. If I'm sick, I'm going to call for a doctor. Or I'm, I don't, I'm not going to call for him anymore. I grew up in a time where you could call for a doctor, and he could come to the house, but no more. So when I'm sick, I'll go to a doctor. Jesus came to us. He was the great physician. And when he came, he came with the cure. Being in and out of the hospital, many of you have done this over a period of time, some more than some less. But one of the brightest times in your day in the hospital is when the doctor comes by to visit. And especially if he's coming with good news. You're getting better. And what physician wouldn't give everything they have to be able to come into every patient that they administer to and say, you're going to get better. You're going to get well. Sadly, they can't say that. But you know what? Jesus can Every person that he administers to will get well. Isn't that wonderful? He arose with healing in his wings. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, 
It says, after these things, and this is, the, this is the point we want to make here, and that is that Jesus came to heal sin. He did not come to destroy the bubonic plague. He did not come to control poliomyelitis. He did not come to this earth to make us better financially or physically or medically. He came to save our eternal soul from the scourge of sin. That's what he came to do. Luke chapter 5 verse 27 starts out and says, After these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. He said unto him, Follow me. And he left all and rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? What are you doing with sinners? Well, what do you think Jesus came to do? He came as the physician to heal sinners. That's why he's there. That's why he's there. And it says, Jesus said, answering said unto them, They that are whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Matthew 9, 12 says, They that are whole don't need a physician. The people who claim to have knowledge of God should have been able to recognize the symptoms of sin. I heard the other day there's some other symptoms of the coronavirus thing. Somebody told us to start with, if you, if you cough a lot, if you have a high fever, if your chest hurts. And now I heard the other day, if you lose your taste, sense of taste, sense of smell, that's another sign. So we know we're looking for symptoms. These people didn't even know the symptoms of their sin, of, their, of what was destroying them morally. The doctors of the law didn't know it. They're like many of us today. They're oblivious to the sickness that's destroying us. No symptoms that we can see. At least we think we can't see. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, a couple of fellows went up to the synagogue to pray. One of them was a publican, a fellow that was in sin, and he knew it. He knew he was sick. The other was a Pharisee. He had no idea that he, he, he had the, the disease. So the publican fell on his face and he said, God forgive me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. And the, and the uh, Pharisee said, hey, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I give tithes, I fast, I'm, I'm, I'm well. But he wasn't. He was in sin. The problem with sin, friends, is that it's blinding and deafening. We can see it in others, Sometimes, but not in ourselves. Remember Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. There was a, a situation where Jesus was explaining some of the problems of sin. And he said, uh, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but can't consider the beam that is in your own eye. Or will you say will you say to your brother, let me pull out the mote out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, then you shall see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Well, yeah, we can see sin. I can see yours. 
I think I can. But the Bible says that's not what you're looking for, Bill. You're not looking for their problems. You're look, you should be looking for your problems. Why behold the mote that is in your brother's eye and you don't consider your own? Simply because we can't see that we're sick? Jesus called this blindness and deafness and hardness of heart. It dulls our senses. It gives us neuropathy of the soul. You know what neuropathy is? A lot of people have it in their feet. They can't feel their feet. Sin kills the senses in our soul. We, we, can't, we, we don't know, we don't know that, that we have the problem. We don't know that we have the disease. And so it, it deadens our senses to it. The work of Jesus in His compassion... When he came to this earth and healed the multitudes, is admirable, isn't it? Matter of fact, it thrills us. We look at what Jesus did and all the people that came to him and all the people that he healed. But did you know that he, that was done to demonstrate to us, not that he can heal my physical body, but that he can heal my soul. That's my problem, is sin. God didn't send His Son to this earth to extend your life or mine. He sent His Son to this earth to extend your eternal life, your eternal soul, so that you can live beyond the grave, so that you can live with Him, so that you can be rid of the sin that is devastating you. In Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it says, When the sun was setting, all they that had sick with divers diseases, that says, the word divers means the many different types of diseases, brought them unto him, unto Jesus, and laid their hand, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. What a scene that was, must have been. Desperately sick people with diseases that had no description and had no cure or no palliation were carried to the only one who could cure them. And his name was Jesus. And in the midst of this human carnage, there were blood-curdling screams arising from the demons that were being wrenched out of the souls of those who were there. And only Jesus could cast them out. He was curing everyone that came to him. Which tells me this, that whatever my disease of sin is, Jesus can cure it. It doesn't make it. I may scream and holler and put up a fight, but he can, he can extract it. He can cure me. He can take it out of my life. Desperately sick people are those who are willing to take whatever, it, whatever measures that are required to get rid of that sin, to get rid of that disease. Jesus healed them all. Now, everybody wasn't aware of that all the time. Now, that's, that's kind of a strange thing as you read the New Testament. It, it seemed like some people knew it and some people didn't know it and some people understood what it was about and some people didn't, just like today. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's why He came, to save them from... That's what Matthew 1 verse 21 says. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. It's incidental how we get through this life. It really is. It's incidental. 
And that's what Jesus said in, in, the, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5, when he says, do not, be, do not be concerned about what you shall eat or what you shall wear, what you shall drink, for your Father knows you have need of these things. But what we should be concerned with is, what about my everlasting soul? What about me as a person? What am I going to do? And God said, I'm going to, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to make you well. I'm going, to make, I'm going to take away your sins. But John wondered about this. John the Baptist. He, he started everything with Jesus on his personal ministry by preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he saw Jesus, he said, this is him. He recognized who he was. Later on, he began to sort of waver and wonder, well, is he really the one that can do this? Well, he, here, here's what Jesus replied. He, some of the disciples of John came to Jesus and wanted to know, for John's sake, if he was the one. That's what he sent them. John sent them to ask Jesus. And so Jesus said, go, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. Can I, can I heal a, a, a blind guy? The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. The good news. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Stumbling over Jesus. That's what he's saying. Blessed is he that doesn't stumble over me. He did that. And so when I read those accounts, I think, well, that's amazing that he was able to heal all of those. But the, the main thing is, he, what he's demonstrating to me is that he's able to heal me. He can take care of my sin. He can take care of my sickness. These pictures are overwhelming. The record of Jesus' healing ministry pulses with these accounts of how the touch of Jesus cured lepers, gave sight and hearing, raised the lame, staunched the flow of blood. You remember, it doesn't make any difference whether you touch Jesus or He touches you. You're going to get well. There was a woman who, for 18 years, was bent over, doubled over. She couldn't stand up straight. I know, I know people like that, don't you, that can't stand up straight? 18 years this, this lady was like that. Jesus touched her. She was in the synagogue. This, this account is found in Luke 13. She was in the synagogue, and Jesus said, come on over here. And she came over, and He touched her, and immediately she stood up straight. Is there anything in my demented, gnarled up, twisted up life that Jesus can't straighten out? Well, this tells me He can straighten me up. He can straighten me up. Then there was another woman. Jesus was on His way to heal, uh, to uh, take care of a little girl, Jairus' daughter, in uh, the book of Luke in chapter 8. He was on the way to, to uh, take care of this little 12-year-old girl. And as He walked through the crowd, a lady reached out and touched His garment. For 12 years, she has been bleeding bleeding for 12 years. She had spent every dime she had on doctors to get her to stop bleeding. Can Jesus stop my bleeding heart? That's the question, isn't it? Well, I believe He can. 
He arose with healing in his wings. These records are overwhelming. As powerful and as emotive as those scenes are, Jesus healing the multitudes of the dreaded and deadly diseases that afflicted them, it was not done for a purely humanitarian reason. That's not why he did it. It was to demonstrate to the world dying in sin that Jesus could cure the big one. The big one. Some of you may have seen some of these old TV shows that Red Fox was on. And uh, in those shows, every now and then, Red Fox was, would pretend like he was dying and he'd grab his heart and say, it's the big one. I'm coming, Ethel. It's the big one. Well, sin is the big one. That's the one that, that's, that's the killer. It's not the coronavirus disease. We'll get over this one. We're going to get on top of this one. It is the sin of our sickness of our souls that we need to get on top of. And Jesus Christ is the one who can get on top of it. And He gets on top of it for us. In Luke chapter 5, at verse 17, and here's where we get the, get the uh, information when, that I'm talking about in terms of Jesus coming not for a purely humanitarian reason, but in order to tell me and to tell you that He can heal you. That there is a healing and a cure for your disease. Chapter, seven, chapter 5 of Luke, verse 17 says, It came to pass on a certain day as He was teaching, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which came out of every town of Judea and Galilee and Jerusalem, and the power of the earth was present to heal them. Isn't that something? Here were, here were the, the teachers of the law, Pharisees and doctors, mm-hmm. and it says the power of the Lord was present to heal them. These fellows didn't think they were sick. Isn't that interesting? These, these doctors of the law, they didn't think they were sick. The Pharisees oh, were not sick. And what, what's Jesus doing mixing it up with the, with the Pharisees and publicans, sinners? Behold, Men brought in a bed a man that was taken with a palsy. That means he couldn't walk. And they sought means to bring him in to lay him before him. When they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitudes, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven you. The Lord, they didn't bring him down to get his sins forgiven. They brought him down to get his Sickness healed. He couldn't walk. But what did Jesus say? He said, your sins are forgiven you. Mm -hmm. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived, perceived their thoughts, He answered, said unto them, what reason are you in your hearts, whether it's easier to say, your sins be forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. That's what I want. I want His power to forgive sins. That's what I want. If I'm crippled and laid up in bed all of my life, when I go down into the grave, I want to go down with my sins behind me and Jesus in front of me. That's what I want. And that's what He'll do. He said, so he said, to show you 
that I can forgive sins. He told the man, Arise, take up your couch, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We've seen strange things today. Strange things. The forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus came to bring. Sin is the devil's scourge. And it is his ploy and his passion. He has set himself against the God of heaven, the devil has. And he is determined to keep you from a paradise that God has promised you. That's what the devil wants to do. You say, well, who would ever want to do something like that? The devil. The devil. He's the one that wants to keep you out of heaven. Exactly what he wants to do. And he wants to cripple you. He wants to blind you. And he wants to maim you. And he wants to deafen you so that you don't know that you're sick. That's what he wants to do. That's his scheme. He wants to disfigure your everlasting soul. And he has devoted himself to be the enemy of God. You say, I don't understand that. I don't either. I don't, I don't understand it either. But I know he does. I know the Bible tells me that he's the enemy. And he set about attacking us. He set about diseasing us. Because he knows this is where he can hurt God. He can hurt God by hurting you. He hurts God by hurting the one that God loves. If someone wants to hurt me, the worst, they're going to hurt the one I love. That's the worst thing that they can do. You know, isn't that right? And that's what the devil does. He hurts those that God loves. And he loves you. And that's what the Bible says. God so loved the world. But the devil knows that. And he's so effective at, at filling up his sick bay and his critical care units and his, and, and his intensive care units because he's extraordinarily deceptive. John said that Satan deceives the whole world. Revelation 12, 9. Satan has got the wool pulled over the whole world's eyes. He deceives. Jesus at one time was in a discussion with people that thought that he was illegitimate. John chapter 8. They, 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 they actually accused him of that. They said, you don't know your father. They said, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, you know what? He said, the devil's your father. Oops. In John 8, 44, he says, you are of your father the devil. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. When we can't see the evil effects of sin in our lives, it's because the devil has blinded us to our own sickness. When you get sick with the coronavirus flu, you'll probably have symptoms. When you're sick in sin, you have symptoms. But you may not want to look at them. You may not want to see them. Why? Because the devil has pulled the wool over your eyes. He said, don't look. The Bible tells us that if we look at Jesus, we can see ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I think it's about verse 16. 
We look at we look at Jesus, and in seeing Him, we see our problems and our situation. Sometimes, when I'm not feeling well and don't really know it, somebody tells me, and I can't mention her name because she like, said I can't use her name. Somebody tells me, "Well, Bill, just go look in the mirror and see how bad you look." <laughs> if I want to know how bad I look, here's my mirror, Jesus Christ. I can look Him in the face and He looks me in the face and He tells me how bad I look. So He takes my blinders off. John urged the church at Laodicea. And one of these churches, there are seven churches that John wrote his letter to in the book of Revelation. But he, he told the church at Laodicea, he said, You can't see. Get some eye salve and anoint your eyes so you can see. That's what we need. The antidote for sin, although it's colossal, the antidote for sin and the one who can cure sin is Jesus Christ. John was shouting, repent, wake up, your time is up. Come to your senses. Look at your life, look at what spoils the happiest of the dreams that you have. We have to eventually recognize that sin spoils everything that it touches. If you're having trouble, and everybody will, man that is born of woman is born under trouble. You're having trouble, you're having trouble because of sin. There's no two ways about it. If, if your future is shaky and unsettled, it's because of sin. If you're having problems with other people, having, having personal problems, it's because of sin. If you don't feel good with yourself, if you're desperate, if you're, if you're always seeking some way to make yourself happy, it's because of sin. Sin will deceive us, it will destroy our future, it will take us down to the grave, and it will follow us through the grave into eternity. So, what do I do? Well, Jesus rose with healing in His wings. Jesus is there. You cannot... Stay sick when Jesus is with you. You can't stay sick. And you can't stay in the darkness when He's with you. He's going to turn on the light. He's going to let you see where you are, what you're doing, how you're doing it, how you're feeling. He's going to be with, there with you all the time. And if you get sick, He's going to help heal you. How does this work? Well, I mentioned before in a, a couple of weeks ago that He washes us in His blood. Basically, if I want the healing in the wings of Jesus Christ in His rays, if I want the sunshine in my soul today, then I believe in Him. I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ conquered the devil. He met Him in His own grounds. He went down into the grave with Him. And Jesus came back a conqueror. He whipped the devil. He got on top of the devil and got on top of sin. And we can get on top of it too. How? On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching and said, You know what you folks have done? You have crucified the Son of God. And they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
That's going to heal your everlasting soul. Now that last part was me, what I said. But that's what the Bible tells us. He will heal us. He will sit down beside our bedside. And wouldn't it be nice when we're sick and in the hospital and the doctor makes his rounds and he comes in or she comes in and sits by our bedside and takes us by the hand and says, you're going to get better. That's exactly what Jesus does when you let Him in your life. He sits by your bedside, He holds your hand, and He says, we've got this together, you're going to get better. You're going to get well. And not only going to get well, you're going to stay well. Let the sunshine of the love of God through Jesus Christ come into your heart. God bless you, everyone.